0: This is Around the Rim with LaChyna Robinson.
1: Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week. That's right. There's a new episode of your ESPNW podcast, Around the Rim, where we talk all things women's basketball. And guys, I am so excited. Tariq and I alluded to the fact that we were going to try to do something special for Selection Monday. And when I say it's special, it is extra special. So special that I am in Indianapolis, right, okay, on Selection Monday. So that means one thing and one thing only, I got the scoop. So we have a great show coming up for you. Um, actually, we will have someone we've had on our show before, but it's just so invaluable to what we do with our college women's basketball Um Programming, uh, you know, our schedule all that stuff, but especially when it comes to bracketology, because he is our resident bracketologist. That's right. We have none other than Charlie cream on the show. Welcome to the show, Charlie.
0: Back at around the rim. I am so excited. This is the best time of year. No question.
1: Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And we're going to go one step further, guys. It's selection Monday. So of course, We're talking about teams that are in the tournament, where they're seated, where they're headed, all of that excitement. So we are excited and delighted to welcome the chair of the NCAA Division I Women's Basketball Championship Sport Committee for the 2017-2018 academic year. And that means, yes, the selection committee, Rhonda Lundeen Bennett. Welcome, Rhonda. Hi, LaChina. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are super-duper excited, and we have so much to talk about. But, you know, what we like to do on Around the Rim is educate women's basketball fans, our our listeners, we have some coaches, on exactly what this time of year is like. So, for you, what has been the most exciting part of leading the selection committee this year?
2: The most exciting part to me has obviously just been the parity in the game and the number of great games we've had in the non-conference, in the conference season, as well as in the conference tournaments. I think just women's basketball is in such a great place, and there's so much excitement among our fans, and I just can't wait for this tournament to get started.
1: Now, for fans that may not know this, right, because in my opinion, being a part of the selection committee, because I know how much work you guys do, we'll get to that in a minute, seems like it's a full-time job but you actually have a full-time job you're the senior associate athletics director in swa at the university of nevada tell us what the makeup is of the selection committee uh for women's basketball
2: so there are 10 people in our committee um and we all have full-time jobs either as administrators on campus or at a conference office um You know, we all do have those full time jobs that are all dedicated to women's basketball and and getting this right. And we spend a lot of time together throughout the year talking on the phone, watching games and then obviously meeting in person and and throughout the conference or throughout the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, I just love the makeup, like you said, all different angles, even some former players. Um, on the committee. So I, I know that's always something that Jay Billis talks about is, hey, these former players, well, we've got some former players on the uh, women's basketball uh, selection committee. So you okay. mentioned all the hours of watching games. What, what are the full responsibilities of each member of the committee in terms of watching games, meetings, and things like that throughout the course of the year?
2: Yeah, so we watch games throughout the year. Each of our committee members is assigned as a conference monitor So you have primary and secondary conferences that you're assigned to watching, um, but you're also expected to to know everything that's going on. Um, So we each watch approximately 200-plus games a year. Um, We have meetings pretty much all year round. Um, Definitely before the season starts, we get together. During the season, we get together. You know, We've started releasing the top 16 reveals throughout the year, so there are a lot of conference calls and in-person meetings leading up to that. And then we all get together in March and, and put together the bracket and and then run the NCAA championship with the help from the great staff at
1: the NCAA. They are a fantastic staff. And you mentioned the reveals. That was the, the last kind of general topic I wanted to discuss. And then we're going to bring Charlie in on some specifics of this year's bracket. But, These reveals have been amazing. I mean, it seems like there's been so much excitement, um, you know, every time we have the top 16 and and now we're going a little bit more in depth in terms of more order to to the top 16. And then this year we revealed the final eight, which um, was, you know, the last four teams under consideration for the field and you were going to take four and therefore that weren't going to make it to eight total meaning. Um, so just give us some insight on to what the reveal, the purpose for that and kind of how that helps the committee as the year moves on.
2: Our committee, we're always looking for ways to generate interest in the women's game and, and get people talking about women's basketball and especially the NCAA tournament. Um, and we feel like that transparency and that look into what the committee is thinking at a particular time has just been fantastic, and, and we try to help people understand what goes into that selection process. And we feel that our top 16 is just so vitally important because those are the teams that get the opportunity to host the first and second rounds. So we want to get people talking, get people thinking about buying tickets for those first and second rounds, and just give them that snapshot into to what we're thinking. There's just been a tremendous amount of excitement and interest, um, and it's been fun to see people – Talking about our top teams, especially when with our partner at ESPN, that they're able to put those on during big Monday games and during, you know, great college basketball matchups. And we're talking about the tournament then, too.
1: But well, we're going to dive into this bracket and and you guys do the reveal, which, as you mentioned, is so great because it brings excitement. And you kind of talk about those top 16. Well, Charlie is letting us see his entire bracket, all his teams and, and for all season, building lots of excitement and lots of conversation. And Charlie, before we get into the specific regions and, and seating. Looking at this year's bracket, what was your number one question, or maybe the one thing that was different uh, from your bracket and what the NCAA selection committee came up with?
0: Well, ours were not that dissimilar, uh, which is nice. It makes me feel good about the the effort I'm putting in. Uh, the, the one, I guess, biggest difference that stood out was the fact that among those the final eight teams that uh, Rhonda and I discussed on Sunday was that I had Rutgers in the field and the committee instead had Rutgers out and had Oklahoma in the field instead. So I I suppose my initial question on this would be, what were the determining factors at putting Oklahoma in and leaving Rutgers on the outside?
2: Sure. We felt that Oklahoma, with their number two strength of schedule, as well as their eight top 100 wins, their sixth and four record down the stretch were the factors that, that put them into the tournament for us. And then for Rutgers, we were looking at their three and seven record down the stretch in their last ten games. Um, they had a ninth place conference finish and an eight and ten record in Big Ten play. So those were some of the determining factors for us why we decided to put Oklahoma into the bracket and have Rutgers as one of our first four out.
1: Just to remind fans really quickly of those eight teams that were revealed, uh, we're working our way from the bottom up. Clearly, it was Buffalo, Creighton, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Purdue, Rutgers, USC, and West Virginia. And the four that were chosen in were Creighton, Buffalo, Oklahoma, and Minnesota. Go ahead, Charlie.
0: Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask, and and, and thanks for clearing that up, with China. Everybody should know who the, who those eight teams were in terms of a, a reminder from Sunday. Um, would it be fair to say, Rhonda, that Rutgers' struggles at the end of the season played a major role in, in the Scarlet Knights being left out? I, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, want to, I was just curious as to how much discussion went on in that room about what Rutgers was for the entirety of the season, which, you know, which was a team that, that played pretty well in the non-conference and actually beat four teams that are at-larges in the field as we see it today, but the team at the end of the year that really did struggle?
2: Yeah, I would say that's a, that was a determining factor for us is looking at those teams down the stretch. You know, the last 10 games was very important to our committee.
1: And I'm just curious, how much time did you guys spend on the last four teams in and in, in the last four out? Those, those eight teams were definitely one of the biggest challenges
2: our committee had, and we spent six and a half hours yesterday painstakingly going through the records of each of those teams, their team sheets. Um, breaking up into some groups and discussing them and then coming back together. So that was definitely a very challenging part and vitally important to get that right, to get the right teams into the NCA tournament.
0: I know that you mentioned strength of schedule as being a, a key component on Oklahoma's resume. This is more sort of a general question, but I think because I get this question on Twitter and via email and things like, like that from fans all the time is how – is or maybe just you can be specific about this particular committee and the, the discussions that you had. How is strength of schedule applied? Because I know I hear fans coming at me saying I'm not applying it consistently. That I I made it a big factor for this team, but I ignored it for that for another team. Um, do do you guys ever have to go back and say you know what if we're, if we're leaning on strength of schedule for this team, but. Something happened when we talked about another team where we didn't really bring it up as much. Do you have to go back and maybe re- redo some of those conversations based on, you know, consistent wanting to be consistent?
2: We do. We we try to be very consistent in applying those the principles. Strength of schedule is, is one of our, our principles and criteria for selection and seating. Um, it has been something that our committee has valued over the years and continues to value Um scheduling good opponents but the other part of it is also having quality wins and and beating some of those opponents that you play um so those that is something that that has been very important to us and we do try to apply it consistently
1: and speaking of strength of schedule i'm just curious obviously this is something um that has been talked about but the the fourth number one seed, um, Notre Dame. Some people said, "Well, what about Baylor?" Can you take us just through that conversation in, in terms of what the the differentiate was at the in the end that made Notre Dame that fourth number one seed? Yeah. Well, both both teams are just excellent teams, and we
2: spent a lot of time talking about um, that one line and that two line, and those decisions come down to just really razor thin margins. Um, For Notre Dame, we felt that their number one strength of schedule, as well as their quality wins, um, they have nine wins versus the top 25, and 15 wins versus teams in the top 50 in the RPI, whereas Baylor was at a 26 strength of schedule, with four wins in the top 25, and six total wins against the top 50. You know, when you're looking at these razor-thin margins, that was what set Notre Dame slightly ahead of Baylor.
1: And with those two teams, only because they both have had an injury impact their season, even though at different points, how did, you know, losing Lili Thompson, for example, for Notre Dame factor into either where they are or their seeding and then Baylor having lost Christy Wallace? And we could even say the same, you know, for like a South Carolina who was missing Asia Wilson, um, you know, during some key key matchups.
2: Injuries and availability of talent are definitely something that we consider, especially in the seeding process. Um, you know, Everyone on our committee was aware of those injuries. We reported out on them and, and talked about that. Um, and it's one of the factors that goes into determining where someone is going to be seeded. Not can the only factor, us, but one of the factors.
1: Can you give us an example of that? Well, I think
2: if, if you had someone who was missing a key player early on and that person came back and was able to play in the NCA tournament or play down the stretch, that would be something that we would, would look at and, and consider. Um, you know, we'd obviously look at what games they had won, what games they had lost, when they had that player back, um, and what they had done since. So it's, it's so, not the only factor, but it is one of the factors that we do look at.
1: So say, like, for Baylor, that they're not going to get Christy Wallace back, does that, like, take them down a notch in terms of what you feel like they're competitive Um, you know, ranking or whatever may be, like, moving forward, like how capable they are maybe of winning higher-level games without her? Does that play into seeding?
2: Well, we try not to predict what's going to happen. We look at what they they have done. So in Baylor's case, uh, Christy went down with that injury, and they continued to play very well and win their conference tournament. Um, And so that's the kind of things that we look at.
0: Rhonda, one of the things I get from fans quite a bit is um, well, my team finished eleven and five in the conference, and this other team finished nine and seven. We should be in they should be out or you know talking about where they finished in the conference and specifically their record, but one of the things that has taken over the game is not all conference schedules are the same anymore. many leagues have unbalanced conference schedules how Does that come into play? I think fans would love to know and have that explained because they're not necessarily seeing that when they're just looking at a record within a conference. How would that take place in a committee room or any conversations around the different conference schedules that teams have?
2: Charlie, we assign committee members to be conference monitors. And part of the discussion that that we do have and, and the reports that those conference monitors provide us is who is playing in a balanced schedule or an unbalanced schedule. Um, it's definitely something that that is part of our discussion. You know, if, if a particular team doesn't play the top of their conference or they only play them once versus someone else who plays them twice, it's definitely something we're going to discuss and, and be knowledgeable about um, and use it moving forward to determine um, you know, what we do with those teams. But at the end of the day, we're looking at the quality wins and, and what wins a team does have.
1: I wanted to take this back uh, to South Carolina, if I could, for a moment, Rhonda. Um, you know, them being matched up with UConn, you know, and I know there's, you know, seed lines and all, and, you know, there's a lot of different things to take into consideration. But how might they end up in that bracket with you, with Connecticut?
2: Mm-hmm. Our, our principles have us bracket people. We take that seed line in true seed order and place people into the bracket in that order. Um, so with looking at, at this this bracket, um, when you have that number two seed line, you had Baylor as the number one number two seed, and we looked at where to send them. And for the balance of the bracket, we didn't want to send Baylor, the number two, number one seed to Kansas City to play Mississippi State, who was the number one or the number two, number one. Um, That wouldn't fit with the balance Mm -hmm. of the bracket. So then we decided to, to send Baylor to Louisville to play in the Lexington Regional. And then continuing down the line, you look at Oregon. They were our number two, number one seed and it made sense geographically to send them to Spokane. Um, Then you got to South Carolina, and we can't send South Carolina to the same regional as Mississippi State because our principals don't allow us to send the first four teams from each conference in the top four seed lines to the same regional. So South Carolina had to go to Albany, and then then Texas um, was our last team, and Texas went to Kansas City.
1: Charlie, were you in line with all of that? You pretty much, I think you had the same exact things, correct? I think sometimes the fans don't realize that um, the geography comes into play. So, Charlie, can you follow up with that part of it?
0: Yeah, I think the committee has a great challenge in that they're trying to do a couple of different things. And, Ron, you could agree or disagree with me on this, is that you have to try to balance the bracket and make it as fair as possible. But you also have to take... Travel and, and fan travel into consideration, and try to keep teams as close to home. So you're, you're 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 juggling those two things, and sometimes they're they're counterintuitive to each other, and you've got to strike a balance. And I think in this particular bracket, that balance was very very nicely struck. That it, it's especially we're talking about the one and two seeds. It was balanced very well, but also had the the teams in the in the right places in the regionals that we, we would expect them to. The fans would, would want them in so they can get to the games. And, uh, and it, it just makes sense from, from both perspectives. Do um, so I kind of have a good handle on that, Rhonda, and, uh, in, in, in terms of you're, you're really juggling two different things when you're trying to put the, the one, two, three, and four lines together?
2: Right, as well as, as trying to deal with those conferences that have multiple teams in the top four lines. Um, especially as well as multiple teams in the top two lines, that becomes an added challenge. So you've got those two challenges you talked about, as well as that conference piece.
0: Yeah, because I know I, I tried to explain uh, all along as we were heading up to to this day that, that that you know try to explain to South Carolina fans that I know you're not going to like this, but you're you're going to land in Albany if things stay the way they are. And a, a lot of them didn't want to believe me or didn't think that it was right or uh, a number of other things, but. Um, ba- based on what you guys do and, and my sort of tracking and knowledge of, of what what the principles and procedures are and what needs to be done, I was I was trying to communicate that to fans. So um, don't don't shoot the messenger, folks. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> this is the way the hey, but Charlie... to work based on principles and procedures. <laughs>
1: I was gonna say we're using that term principles and procedures. And Rhonda, you've you've hinted on a couple, but there are are there any major principles or procedures or considerations that you could share uh, as guidelines that the fans may or may not know?
2: You know, I, I think I think the conference piece is one thing that that not a lot of fans may may understand in those top four lines about sending the first four teams from each conference two different regionals. I think that adds that wrinkle um, as well as the balance of the bracket. I think sometimes um, people don't realize that we put teams into the bracket in seed order Um, and so therefore then sometimes you have some things that that get shifted around from where they think that that things would be because we're going in that seed order.
1: Yeah, that balance of the bracket is another term that we kind of hear. So you're saying that that's just based on Like you go, you put everything in based on seed order, but then there are other movements that have to take place based on the things that you just discussed. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Rhonda, along those lines, one of the things I do, and I'm wondering if the committee does this as well, is, you know, obviously you're starting with the one line, two, and then three and four. When I get to the end of the the top 16 overall teams, the the top four seeds in each region, um, based on, you know the ge- geographical considerations and, and going in and as close to in seed order as possible. Do you then? I go through and then kind of add up the the number the the number that the teams fell on the board and and, and then put that number down in each region. And the, those numbers want to be as close as possible. It's sort of a double checking to make sure that that it's it is fair and balanced uh, as close as it can be with all of the other considerations we talked about. Does the committee do that? Do they kind of go back and, when you when you get down, when you get done with the top four seeds in each region, and, and sort of check the work based on what I just described?
2: Yeah, we're lucky enough to have amazing software from the NCAA to, to do the bracketing, and so at the bottom of our screen that we see, we see that number, that balance um, as we go along, and um, so something we're looking at, you know, in the the first couple of lines and throughout the bracket. It's definitely something we're trying to achieve is that balance in the bracket.
0: Now, China, I need that technology because I'm doing this with uh, an eraser. <laughs> of pencil I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, all Charlie has is his number two pencil, so he's he's trying to yeah. sign up for the software. Just a, just a couple more questions for you, Rhonda. We really appreciate, once again, just... All this information is so helpful, I know, for us and, and for all of our listeners. Um, I don't. I know you guys don't look at conference necessarily unless you're looking at who, you know, you don't want them to play each other until a certain point. But I noticed that the SWAC and MEAC um, are not the 16 C's this year. Um, I, I just thought that that, I don't know, Charlie, was the last time you saw that happen? But I was just kind of shocked because usually you can almost... Pencil in the the, the swack or MEAC, and I know a lot of like, other numbers come into play. But what does that say about those conferences uh, that they're not uh, going to be playing a one seed in the first round?
2: Well, when you get outside of those top four lines, um, we do have the ability to move teams up or down a seed line um, to find the places that are are you know geographically make sense. And so sometimes in some of those lines, you get some. You get some movement there, moving people up or down a line, um, to just do things that make sense.
1: See, I was going—I was thinking I wanted the swack and the act to be getting better as lead, but I see that it might have been geographically motivated. No, I totally get that. That was just a, a random observation that I had made looking through things. Um, what would you say was the most challenging part of the bracket this year, or that fans Definitely. may not realize is a part of it?
2: Yeah, definitely those last four in, first four out. Um, we had such great parity in in the women's basketball game this year, and there were so many teams that we were considering um, as at-large selections. And I think just trying to figure out who those last four teams in um, were was one of our biggest challenges. We spent almost seven hours just looking at that particular issue, um, and you know it's so important to get it right because it's so exciting for a student athlete to get the opportunity to go and play in the NCAA tournament. And we want to make sure that that we're making the right decisions based on the right information and the best information.
1: And we keep saying that there's more parity in the game. Is that apparent in what you guys do in in terms of the selection and putting, and obviously you're watching a lot of games. I heard the number was 1200 games, but I don't, could be more than that. And that was like when I, when I participated in the mock um, selection, but are you guys seeing more parity in that way, or is it more in the bracketing process maybe? Or are you not seeing more parity?
2: Well, we're definitely seeing more parity. As we talk about, you know, teams from conferences that we should keep an eye on, that we should be watching, um, that list seems to grow every single year. We have more and more teams that we're looking at. Um, and, you know, I think we watch at least 1,200 games. I be, wouldn't be surprised if it was more I mean, more in the two thousand range for, for us. I mean, I think every committee member watches over one hundred and fifty games um, and tries to get their eyes on as many teams as possible. Um, a lot of our committee members go back and watch games again just to make sure that they knew knew what they were talking about. And um, so, yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot more parity and a lot more excitement um, throughout the country.
0: And, Lachina, I would I would add to that. I think this this bracket. And, and the way teams were seeded, there's as a good indicator of just where the game is growing in terms of parity. I mean, look at the, look at these mid majors. Green Bay is a seven seed. South Dakota State's an eight. Quinnipiac is a nine. Northern Colorado's at ten. Um, those teams they scheduled very, very well. They're mid majors who went out and scheduled, and they are rewarded and they, they were successful or at least competed in a lot of those games that we're talking about. And I think that's a, a this is a real good indicator about where the game is going and growing is this, the this siege of those mid-majors and the, the level of competitiveness that they've shown and the, their willingness to step out and go on the road and, and play some of the so-called big boys. And uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's a real sign of growth. And I was really happy to see what some of those teams were seeing.
2: I hope people watch some of those games in the tournament. You know, some of those first round games are going to be some terrific games between some teams they might not have seen in the past. And we hope they'll tune in and, and watch some of these teams that have been doing great things all season, and hopefully we'll continue that in the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some of the possible matchups. Of Duke and okay. Belmont definitely stands out to me. Uh, you know, I'm excited for Mercer, obviously. They've had a, a historical season. Um, Buffalo, you know, I mean, gosh, I know they were, they were sweating last night, but – Uh, What a great opportunity for them. And South Florida, obviously, has had a great year. I mean, just across the board, you mentioned South Dakota State, um, you know, the Big East. I mean, they spent their first few years as a new league only getting two teams in. I think in a new configuration, they now get four teams in. Um, They may have had, I don't know, Charlie, I didn't add up. Did they have more than the Big 12 in the the field?
0: They had the same number. They each had four. Um,
1: yeah, was that is that surprising to you, Charlie? In terms of like just the Big Twelve, you know, number wise, looking at where they are compared to the other Power Five conferences.
0: In this particular year, it wasn't all that surprising to me. I think that there there were some teams in the Big Twelve that didn't have the years we're generally accustomed to seeing them having. So, in, in general terms, I think the Big Twelve was down a little bit this year, and the Big East certainly it was really competitive. Uh, especially from kind of the middle of the league up. So it doesn't it didn't really surprise me. I was kind of tracking those numbers of teams for the, a, a good portion of the season that way. It's it's certainly not the norm, not what we've seen in the past, but I think it, it it's another signal that we're getting more teams involved in this conversation of of inclusion in the field and more leagues with with deeper amounts of of, of competitiveness that would indicate their ability to be in the field as well
1: fantastic well charlie Rhonda, our work here is done we appreciate you guys joining us on around the rim you know one thing we want to do on around the rim is educate the fans and educate our listeners on Everything women's basketball, so giving us this insight into selection, into brackets, into some of the rules and the procedures and the verbiage, and even all the work that the selection committee puts into this is just, it's invaluable. So thank you so much uh, for all you do and for your time, and for fans, we're not done this week. We will have another episode where we will dive into the matchups, players to watch, and all of those good things. But again, we wanted to just thank um, Rhonda and Charlie for their time. Hopefully you enjoyed the special. And don't forget that you can download Around the Rim on the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about this episode or any other episodes, tweet me at... LaChina Robinson or Tarika at Sports underscore. And wherever you are, use the hashtag Around the Rim. Again, don't forget, a big week as we kick off the Women's NCAA Tournament, y'all. Visit ESPNW.com for all the information. We'll see you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app. (laughs)